Welcome to PRN's Progressive Radio News Hour. I'm Steve Lindman. My guest today is Rodney Shakespeare. Rodney always has many major issues on his mind to discuss, and we'll spend the hour going through them. Rodney, before you begin, and we certainly want to talk about Charlie Hepto and the fallout, and there certainly is plenty of that, and I fear the worst may be yet to come. But here's a headline from, from Germany's Deutsche Welle Media, a highly, well, a very well-known worldwide distributed media, how highly respected. Well, I'll let people make their, their own judgments on that. But it's dated the 7th of March, so about 10 months ago, and it reads, Europe has little reason to fear Russian gas cutoff, quote-unquote. Here's a headline from the Daily Mail, a Britain Daily Mail. I didn't check the date, but I assume it's today because this is breaking news. And it says, Europe plunged into energy crisis as Russia cuts off gas. (laughs) Well, Vladimir Putin is flexing his muscle, uh, Rodney, and uh, apparently he he intends to export Russian gas to Turkey and let let European countries figure out how how they're going to be supplied. Well, I hope Vladimir has a lot more in his mind than this, because he has certainly been an unfair punching bag by America and European countries, letting themselves be bullied to go along with irresponsible U.S. policies, harming their own self-interest, and how long they can continue to do this, including against the interests of their own businesses, who are absolutely apoplectic about the policies coming out of Berlin. But they sure are coming, and they're the wrong ones, so we'll see what happens. But uh, Putin acted, he at least curtailed gas supplies to Europe. In the dead of winter, these countries aren't devoid of supplies. They have reserves, but how much they have, it'll vary by country. But in the middle of January, to cut off gas supplies, I think that's making a very pronounced statement, Rodney. Yes, indeed. And the whole of this uh, situation, of course, um, came up because a democratically elected president was overthrown by a group of fascists and people who have been paid by uh, Senator John McCain and Victoria Newland. And the people in the East uh, felt threatened, not just only for their language, but for their lives. And that led led to a colossal vote. Nobody knows, 99, was it 95 or something like that? And when you have a situation like that, you must move democratically. Just as in the UK, we did in fact have a democratic vote on Scottish independence. But of course, when somebody votes for 90, 95% to go to someone who would protect them against those who are definitely threatening them, uh, then of course the West thinks that this is in some way, this is is, uh, morally and politically wrong. In fact, it was morally and politically uh, right. Okay, Steve, now, so many things to deal with, and could I just start off by asking you, what is the weather like in Chicago at this moment? Uh, well, it's a, it's always a topic on the mind of Chicago, and it's not too bad. We went through a cold spell. Before that, ah. we went to an absolute frigid spell. Arctic Have you got weather. any snow at this moment? We've had very little snow downtown. Usually, okay, well, in Saudi Arabia, part up near the going up towards the Jordanian border around there, they have been having snow. And would you believe it? There's been a, a, a decree that nobody must make a snowman or snow animals in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> this perhaps sums it up more than anything else. Uh, the Wahhabis, um, they are at this moment, um, they are um, 
They're trying two women in a terrorist court, a terrorist court uh, for driving, and no one must, uh, music, no chess, no kite flying, exactly the same as the Taliban. Uh, and these are the people who are loyally supported by my government and your government. Um, they are behaving with their usual brutality against a father of three, Raif uh, Badawi, who had just simply a website which was um, called Free Saudi Liberal. He's been sentenced to a thousand lashes, ten years imprisonment, and somewhere around about $200,000 in fine. Now, a point about the lashes, Steve, is they only give 50 at a time. And the reason is quite simple, that any more and you're dead. So what they do, you get 50 lashes, and then you get a time to recover, and then they do it again uh, for 20 times. In other words, that man is being taken to death, uh, on the verge of death, uh, 20 uh, times. It's a bit like waterboarding, which also takes a person to the point of death. And in the case of one Guantanamo prisoner, it was done 183 times. Well, the Saudis are doing it 20 times. It will last a year. And each time, the lashing uh, uh, lasts about uh, 15 minutes. This is Saudi Arabia for you. And this is my government. Goodness me, Prince Charles goes across there and does the sword dance with these people. And so does the Americans. And so I don't want to hear anything about democracy or principle or anything from my government or your government. The scumbags in Saudi Arabia, they are the limit. A terrorist court for trying for women who, who were driving a car. Steve, going across to West Africa, um, a week ago, 2,000 women children and elderly were slaughtered. They could, were the ones who could not flee from the Boko Haram. The villages were then completely razed by fire. Um, there was little or virtually no Western response to this utter outrage um, because, you see, it all gets down to racist responses. If it happens in the world and the, those people's skins are not white in any respect, then it's as though they don't exist. And you they have to compare that response with um, the extraordinary response to the um, uh, murder of uh, 12 and then plus 4, 16 are killed in uh, uh, France. On the same day as that happened in Yemen, uh, one bomb killed 37 and uh, wounded and severely wounded a 66. Not a word of that in the Western media, uh, only that in France a, a group of people had been uh, killed. See, there's so much to say on that incident in France. They include whether or not it's a false flag and how these things work. Uh, they include the reaction of the now the president of Turkey. Uh, they include what are the limits to freedom. I'm just going to stop at that point and ask you for your initial reaction on the, um, the slaughter of the um, caricaturists in Paris 
and then I'll come in perhaps with my own reaction. Well, I said a couple of times, Rodney, in articles I wrote that I believe that what happened in Paris last week, the killings, have less to do with terrorism and more to do with false flag deception. These guys apparently were trained, uh, the report said in Yemen, I don't know if it was in Yemen, by Al-Qaeda, I don't know if it was in Yemen or another one of the regional countries, but it's, but it, but it's, but it's pretty well known and widely reported in the alternative media, and I've certainly written plenty about it, that these extremists, these takfiris, call them Islamic State or the Nusra Front, Al-Qaeda, give them any name that you want. Uh, they're, they're trained at, at, at U.S. bases in Jordan, in the, in, the, in the country of Georgia, in Turkey, and then they're sent cross-border to, to uh, Syria to attack the Assad government. And these are the kind of people who've been trained. So if they're trained by Al-Qaeda, then maybe Al-Qaeda was first trained by America, and then they use their training to train others. Maybe this is the way the dirty game works. And I think these guys and this Chalabi who, uh, who killed people, uh, took hostages and killed people, in the co- and he was killed in the kosher, bush- uh, kosher supermarket uh, in, uh, in France, uh, the three of them, I think they were used as, as, as patsies for the Western war on terrorism, which is the West war off terrorism to destroy fundamental rights, uh, eviscerate longstanding rights, and replace them with, 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 uh, with police state lawlessness. Including imperial wars, uh, getting rid of constitutional rights in America, other similar rights in Western European countries, and I think this is the dirty game. And to say that the attacks on Charlie Hebdo was a war on free expression is a bunch of rubbish. You know, free well, expression, Rodney, as you know, it, free expression is okay if it says the kind of things that Western countries want to hear. But if you oppose their policies, uh, that arouses their ire, and that's called terrorism. Well, now, I want to first of all comment on whether or not it's a false flag, and I want to put to you um, what I believe to be the essential mechanism, because, you see, unless you can see that this could be the mechanism by which these things are done, then the actual facts about the thing uh, don't really sort of fit in a coherent way. What I believe is the mechanism, and I'm going to cite 9-11 as one example, and I'm going to cite the uh, underwear bomber as another example, is that uh, the intelligence uh, agencies get to know that something is planned. Uh, They then take a decision as to whether they are going to oppose it or help it along. And that was certainly the case on 9-11, and it was certainly the case with the underpants bomber, who, goodness me, was was helped onto the plane by a CIA agent. (laughs) So they could then, of course, justify bringing in all those X-ray machines. Now, I think what may have happened in this case is that they found out what was happening, and then they said to the people, well, look, uh, you do this. And then the following thing happened. The actual murder was rather peculiar. There is a witness who said that one of the two men had blue eyes, and neither of the brothers do. Secondly, they were very military. Third, they had... um, these uh, military uh, uh, weapons. Uh, Fourthly, there's a most peculiar business about shooting somebody on the ground and there being no no blood. And fifthly, you get that business of, oh, there's a convenient identity card. One is reminded of 9-11, when everything goes into powder and somehow a a, a, a passport of one of the alleged hijackers turns up. 
and we know all about the 90 issues on 9-11, which will show it was a falsity. But the point is this, they get to know it and then decide. And in this case, I think that the two brothers would then have been uh, panicked, and they may not even have done it. But if they did do it, they would have been on the run, and they will then be shot, because it's most important that they should never be, from the point of view of those who organize this, that they should never, ever be allowed uh, to give evidence as to how they've been talked to, how they've been influenced, how they've been told this, and how they've been told that. So I've got a great big question mark over in my mind about this particular issue. But, Steve, there are other bigger things. Uh, it happens at a time uh, when uh, the Western Europe is getting a bit panicky about its politics and wanting to find a scapegoat for everything going wrong. Um, it's significant that Netanyahu, a bumptious killer, if there ever was one, was was waving to the crowd in Paris, and also significant that Holland didn't even want him there. Um, one wonders whether Mossad was behind this, as they're behind so many things, and that the ultimate thing about this was, of course, that Israel um, has, um, or rather Zionism, not Israel, Zionism has betrayed the Jews. And the, the pressure coming on Israel now is that Israel had every single reason uh, to be behind the organization of this particular uh, plot. Um, goodness knows what Erdogan of Turkey is up to. He likened uh, Netanyahu to the Paris gunman. But um, Erdogan of Turkey, of course, is the man who has been allowing training and arming and letting all the ISIS go into Syria. And, of course, it was Turkey who m m murdered an admirable young American woman called uh, Serena Shim. Mm. Pretty certain she was an American journalist. And why was she murdered? Because she blew the whistle on what was happening in the Turkish border with Erdogan playing every single dirty game under, under the sun. So I'm not too interested in what he says uh, when he likened Netanyahu to one of the uh, parish Government. Now, Steve, if I may can continue a bit on this, um, on the issue of the actual uh, journalists. The whole thing is, in fact, a demonstration of Western hypocrisy. There are limits to freedom. Uh, there's always been, usually, some sort of blasphemy penalty. Well, that was abolished in the UK, but we still have... Um, racially aggravated public order offences and doing what that those caricatures did, I'm fairly certain could come under that, because it gets down to whether you're going to stir up a fight. That's the bottom line. I believe in America, it's called fighting talk. It's when somebody does something which can stir up uh, risk of disorder and injury, as in, for example, um, well, not fighting talk, but you shouted fire in a cinema, that would definitely be a public order offence because people can get killed. And you really can't have a situation where you can go round and blaspheme one lot. And yet, if anybody then turns around and says a word about Israel, uh, then, of course, they get shoved in prison. We're talking France here. The fact of the matter is Zionism is the real enemy of the Jews. And at the moment, uh, we have Zionism rampant. I do feel that the Zion, Netanyahu and Mossad may have been behind this 
uh, attack in Paris. And in any case, um, the expression on his face as he waved to the crowd, exactly the same as those Israelis who were dancing in New York on 9-11, long before anybody knew, publicly knew, what the truth was, though they knew, of course, because they were involved. So I'm, I object to the hypocrisy in this. I think a scapegoat is being made. Uh, we, it's divide and rule. Um, the the uh, forces that be, the, the critical structures, are trying to find scapegoats for what is a great, massive, economic collapse, which is only a little way down uh, the road. So, back to you, Steve. Oh, indeed. I mean, there's so much going on, Rodney. <clears throat> when an event like the Paris killings happens, the first thought on my mind is uh, the fingerprints of CIA and Mossad are all over this, and probably both of those spy agencies had their hands on, on what happened. Now, whether things went exactly as planned, I don't know, but you mentioned and I wrote about the fact that uh, they pulled off this thing with military precision. They wore bulletproof vests. They, had, they were heavily armed, uh, AK-47s. At Paris, which is one of the most heavily policed cities in the world. They managed to make their escape. A cop was supposedly shot, but there was no blood on the ground. There was a photo of a, of a police vehicle riddled with, with bullet holes. Well, did it come from, from, these, from the Karachi brothers or from somebody else? I don't know. But how could anybody pull off an, an event like this in a city as heavily militarized and, and policed as Paris and manage to get away and then be fingered? The, the location uh, pointed out and within 48 hours they, uh, or so, uh, they end up dead because dead men tell no tales. Heaven forbid. Dead men tell no tales. Exactly. exactly. Uh, and, and, and I think part of the dirty game, I mean, you never want to let these people have their voice in public to say anything about, uh, aside the motive, it doesn't matter. It, it's who gave them the training. Who, who told them there was an editorial board meeting uh, a week ago, Wednesday, uh, eight ah. days ago? Who told them that? <laughs> Who let them in the building? The building was supposedly was heavily protected. There were two police guards guarding the, the editor, and, and there were supposed to be police outside, and yet they were allowed into the building by, by a journalist, a, a, a Charlie Hebdo journalist. Whoever would do anything like this with two guys, how, how do you hide your weapons? If they had weapons like this, didn't they at least have bulges under their clothes? Who would have let people like this in the building? But they came in, they killed 12 people. I don't know whether they killed a cop or not. And, and then they make their getaway and then spotted and surrounded in a, uh, in, in, in a, in a, uh, a, uh, what, what, what was it? A, a facility, a, uh, what, what was the facility they were cornered in? Uh, the facility, uh, Steve. Uh, the, the the building they were cornered in. Uh, I don't. Oh, I don't quite know that one, Steve. But the, your point about um, how did they know about the meeting? All those journalists and caricaturists, they only used to meet very, very rarely. So, I mean, how on earth that they the, the, the attackers knew that, that the people they wanted to kill would be there? I really don't know. 
And to me, the biggest red flag of all was the fact that the uh, the ID card of one of, one of the brothers was found in what was called the getaway car, just like Mohammed Ada, one of, one of the falsely named 9/11 bombers. Uh, his his passport was conveniently found in, in a car he supposedly left at the airport before boarding the fateful flight. Who ever heard of attackers leaving their identification behind so they could be easily identified? Who ever heard of anything like this, especially, I mean, take the most recent incident, guys who pull off an attack with military precision being stupid or sloppy enough to leave their ID card behind so that they could easily be fingered and identified. I mean, if that doesn't signal a red flag, I don't know what does. Well, uh, yes, I- I'm with you. And uh, anyway, the, the, and there's also a question, who benefited by, by this, of course? Well, the only ones who seem to have benefited I think seems to have been the Zionists out of this. Um, you, you know, you do have to ask on something like this. Is it to, when you look at that organisation that goes into it, and you say, well, who who really benefits by this? Anyway, Steve, we must move on, uh, and let's just now look at the oil price uh, because it's pretty clear uh, that as the Brent price goes down to about forty six. And the, the West Texas oil goes down to about 43 or 42. Uh, that this has got very little to, to do with political maneuvering. Yes, the Saudis are taking advantage of it, but the whole thing represents a great downward plunge in demand. And now the evidence is this the drop in commodity prices. And in particular, when I was last on with you, Steve, um, I mentioned that there was drop in commodity prices, but the copper was still holding up. Oh, no well, longer, right? Dr. Copper, the only metal to have a PhD, because it tends to be very good at forecasting economic turns one way or another. Dr. Copper uh, seems to be indicating that there's been a great big turn. Copper, of course, is so important in building, in in the pipes, you know, inside the flats and all this sort of thing, and in wiring. But it is uh, used in the, um, uh, manufacturing, but particularly piping in, in in modern piping inside modern buildings. Anyway, there's the downturn and the uh, the Baltic Dry Shipping Index, uh, which just gives you a rough idea of what sort of could be in the works at six months. That one is as low as it can actually get at the moment. It's all about iron ore and soya beans and this sort of thing. Um, it's a category of shipping, but it's also, like Dr. Copper, believed to be a very sensitive indicator of, well, at the very least, at least the perception of what might be the scene um, six months ahead. So that looks like a nasty one on the cards. And looking at economics and turning to Greece, Steve, I think we ought to go to town on this one. Because, you see, in Greece, a party called Syriza is on about 30% in the polls, and the next party is on 27%. And the position of Syriza as to whether Greece's debt should be paid or not is very, very interesting. Um, when the crisis started, uh, Greece uh, government debt was about 125% of GDP, and now it's 175%. That is to say, all the austerity has done nothing but made the whole thing uh, worse as the economy goes into a sort of downspin. 
Now, the situation is so bad for ordinary Greeks, you're looking at horrendous levels of un unemployment, um, that you've got a, a, an anti-party. But its position is that it, here it comes, it wants to stay in the European Union, but then its position is can't pay, therefore won't pay. And that means that they're saying, well, we're not going to pay up this, this money, particularly to the German banks. And uh, but that means that if they're allowed to get away with it, what do you think is going to happen in Italy with the five-star movement uh, rising rapidly? What do you think is going to happen in Spain with the Podemos uh, movement rising rapidly um, and all the other sort of anti-Euro uh, movements? So Syriza wants to stay in, but if it does and gets what it is demanding, or what it's refusing to do, then that has huge consequences. It means all the others will want to do the same. The alternative, of course, is to kick Greece out of the euro. And Steve, you know full well what the implications could be. Something like that could precipitate the collapse of the Europe in itself. It could do that. Um, and also, you start seeing all these huge amounts of debt and the, the, all the derivatives linked to the debt in something like that. That could, just like, um, shall we say, all, the, all the, the oil borrowed money, which is not going to be repaid now. Any of these could be the precipitating cause in the next stage, the next downward stage, of uh, what looks increasingly going to be a horrendous year, uh, Steve. It's getting worse and worse. So there you are, Greece can't pay or won't pay, we're going to stay in, they say, at the same time. They're doing something which, well, well essentially, I mean, who's going to blink first? In any case, it looks it's going to be either they get away with it, in which case all the other countries will demand the same, or they get expelled. What do you say about that? Oh, I don't know whether there'll be a Grexit or not, Rodney. I, w I, w I, I wish I had a crystal ball that could really tell. I have a feeling that Syriza may, may uh, knuckle under and decide they'll play the game uh, no matter what they said in the campaign. You are uh, a rotten cynic. You're a rotten cynic. You think that <laughs> the individual leaders are going to be blackmailed or have a million pound put in their personal account or, or coerced and threatened that, that something could happen to them. Unfortunately, well, I Steve, I, I suspect you're right. Steve, let me just tell you a quick story. Uh, once, a long time ago, when I worked for um, a big um, equipment leasing association and big finance houses association, um, well, they, they, the two associations did something which was they had to do by law, and they took all sorts of advice, and they had all these QCs and these opinions and the top professors, etc., and they, everyone said, you must do this. Uh, unfortunately, what they proposed doing conflicted with the ultimate shareholders who were the big banks like Barclays and NatWest and Midland Bank. And um, the chairman of the relevant committee was called and to go and see someone. And then a week later, I was told by something, somebody that this chairman was back. And I went and looked down in the balcony, looked down into the foyer, and I couldn't see anybody. And so I went back to my office and I said to, to Charles, I said, Charles, I can't, what do you mean he's back? And he said, go and look again. 
And I went and looked again, and I saw a tall man with white hair. Uh, and then I was horrified. That man's hair had gone white in one a week. And that's what happens uh, when you take these people on. They just put a, a, a file across the desk, and in that file they, they're going to blackmail you or coerce you or threaten you so your hair turns white. And I reckon, I think you're right, I think Syriza, the individual leaders of Syriza, may well be subject to all that sort of thing. It's the sort of thing that the Americans do very, very well right the way around the world. Um, right, it, it, spy it, it, it makes sense because the amount of Greek debt which is held by Western banks, if there's a Grexit and if somebody has has the courage to uh, default on the debt, uh, do what Argentina did around 2000, uh, uh, just gave uh, the bankers an ultimatum, we'll pay you so much, and most of them took it, some didn't, but most of the ones who didn't ended up, I think, getting a worse deal some years later. I mean, Argentina had the backbone to say, this is the way it is, boys, and we're not going to change it, so they they paid them off at a a fraction of the worth of Argentine uh, 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 fixed income debt. Uh, Greece has not done that so far. I mean, Greece is really a black hole sinking into an endless abyss. Uh, just, just a terrible situation. A zombie country, I remember calling it a number of times when, when I wrote about it some time ago. And, and the only way that Greece can possibly save itself is to get the heck out of the euro system, which are handcuffs that, that are just suffocating the country to death and the people. And if they don't do something, they might end up with a revolution on their hands. One quick comment I wanted to make when you were talking about commodities Rodney, uh, probably yeah. the three most bellwether commodities are oil and copper and, and iron ore. I, I, uh, uh, copper, as of yesterday, was down about 18% uh, since July, uh, including a very big hit in, in the previous 24 hours. Oil, I think, down around 60%. Iron ore down about 50%. And I think this, what, what this means is these are the canaries that are saying there's something fundamentally wrong with, with Western economy or with world economies. They're weak, and the markets aren't reflecting it, and sooner or later they'll, they'll have to because there is real economic weakness and trouble coming. And if you don't see it in, in these commodity prices and the Baltic Dry Index and the, and the other things, they're just screaming trouble. Well, you can sit back and think it won't happen, but it'll come crashing down on you. And to me, that's a very big issue. Uh, we could, 2015 could be a year of, a year of reckoning, Rodney, when uh, the yes. chickens finally come home to roost and the bubbles burst and we see a little bit of reality that we haven't seen since the 2008, early 2009. Yes, indeed. And uh, I believe we're into a, a downward stage of the Kondratiev cycle. The Kondratiev cycle is huge cycles. Um, they're a, a, a composite of lots of cycles within them, but the great factor which dominates always, there are two. One of them is the build-up of unrepayable debt, and the other one is um, excessive rich-poor division, but it's, it's the build-up of the debt which is going to do it. And it's, the figures now are much worse than what they were in 2008. Now, Steve, I want to now look at, well, we're in the world of great big lies, and here is a, another one. A prime minister, his name is Arseny Yatsenyuk of the Ukraine. I know where you're going. <laughs> you know where I'm going. I wrote about and it. I know where you're going, but I'll let you explain to listeners. He announced that Russia had invaded 
Ukraine during the Second World War. Well, those with a minimal knowledge of history uh, will tell you that uh, there was a thing that was called Operation Barbarossa. Barbarossa was one of these Germanic uh, Holy Roman Emperor types in Europe, God knows how many centuries ago. And in June 1941, and there were about, I think it was about 4 million German soldiers. And they were going along the front, oh goodness me, somewhere 1,500 uh, miles, 1,500 miles long. Well, the UK from tip to toe is only about 600. So goodness me, there were 600,000 vehicles and an amazing 625,000 horses. Do and they? of course, there was then this bloodbath. Um, and um, the Germans were doing as, uh, as Napoleon did. And, um, Napoleon was defeated by the Tsar's generals January and February. Uh, the Germans, of course, had much more modern equipment and they went on this long trek. And the Russians withdrew, uh, raising or destroying everything so the Germans couldn't have supplies. And that was the, the most, all the killing in the Second World War, that was the bit where all, not the bit. That was where the most of the killing was actually uh, done. Absolutely. And, 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 and yet, Yatsunuk said uh, Russia not only invaded Ukraine, but invaded Germany. It was Stalin who attacked <laughs> Hitler. <laughs> well, you know, but you see, Steve, if you're going to tell a lie, you must, you know, you know, you know what Goebbels said. If you're going to tell a lie, tell a big one, and then nobody would dare to say it simply, you know, the truth could not be that. It could not be the opposite of what you are being told. Well, can't it? Here you've got, he tied it on, knowing that, that um, the West is putting out any lie it likes, and it's going to say that Russia invaded Iran. The truth is the complete and absolute opposite in what was one of the most terrible, uh, I don't think there's any equivalent to the scale of that slaughter oh, in those four I think, years I think the on the Eastern Front. The greatest the, land invasion in the history of the world. Greatest land invasion in the history of the world. And, of course, uh, we like to think in the UK that um, brave little us, we did our bit in winning the S- S- Second World War. And the, your country like to think that they came in and saved everybody else. But the truth of the matter, the bulk of the fighting and had all the horror was, in fact, uh, done by the Russians. Now, uh, this man, Arseny Yatsenyuk, is very much in my mind. Because and he's, and he's I, the illegitimate prime minister of Ukraine. The appointed prime minister uh, uh, <laughs> ma- ma- making lots of extremist comments, uh, Rodney. Uh, this, one, this one was really off, 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 off the scale, but he's made so many other absurdist comments, extremist comments. I mean, this, this, this guy is a lunatic in spades, on steroids, and this is the guy who's the prime minister. Well, is he such a lunatic on steroids, Steve? Because if you are solidly backed by um, other countries and by the media, 
then are you so lunatic? The fact of the matter is you can say what you like and you can get away with it. You can get and away with I, it. And not a word in the Western media about this absurd charge that Russia invaded <laughs> Nazi Germany. Not, nothing, said, nothing said in the major media about that. Complete silence, including Germany. And Russia complained to the German government. It wants an official explanation. Uh, what do you have to say about this, this comment? And I think Russia is still waiting for an answer from the German government. Well, now, this man is telling lies in another respect. And I want to just here touch on um, uh, a theme, which I, I wrote an article on this. And at first sight, well, you just say, it, it, well, this can't be right. But you start from the proposition of the intelligence agency's adage, which is that if something strange happens once, it's coincidence. If it happens twice, it's, well, you know, happenstance, coincidence again. But if it happens for the third time, then it's only too likely that it's enemy action and you better start trying to find out who did it and why. And this relates to three aeroplanes, uh, all of them belonging to Malaysian airlines. Mm. One of them was MH370, which on the March last year, nine months ago, um, it deviated from its planned flight course and it flew almost backwards over the um, Malaysian Peninsula and disappeared somewhere at sea. And um, we know that uh, 240 people, roughly, um, most certainly must be uh, dead. Now, the second one, and here we are starting to home in on that Prime Minister, is um, MH17, and July last year, it got, um, it was, it was blown up in some way or attacked over Ukraine, and we'll come to that back in a minute. And then the third one is Air Asia, which I think was December the 28th, about two or three weeks ago, just getting towards, just over two weeks ago, um, disappeared uh, somewhere, and um, in all three cases there was no uh, distress signal given. And you start saying, well, once it's coincidence, twice it's happenstance, three is uh, enemy action. First of all, who would have a motive to uh, try to punish Malaysia? And here it comes. Well, first of all, uh, the West has never forgiven Prime Minister Mahathir for him, frankly, taking on fighting and beating the IMF. He did this in 1998, and in 2001, Mahathir extracted an apology. So the West has always been looked sort of askance at Mahathir as a troublemaker and a, a rebel and not a good boy. And then, was it 2011, 2010 to 11, he set up the War Crimes Commission. And this War Crimes Commission uh, uh, found that Prime Minister Blair and uh, U.S. President Bush were guilty of war crimes. Now, you can't, you can't sort of do anything more um, to and infuriate uh, the Western structures uh, than that. So the question then comes, is somebody behind on punishing um, Malaysia? There are other questions as to who would have the technology uh, by which planes can be sub two out of the three, maybe. 
Well, we're going to find out. The first one, it disappeared, and it may never be found. The second one was the one over Ukraine, and here you could just say it was bad luck, as much as it was going to be the one shot down by the Kiev government. But there's all sorts of peculiar questions about it, uh, Steve. Not least, of course, is that we know that it was shot with bullets. We've got the pictures of the, of the cockpit. And secondly, of course, why is, is the evidence has, hasn't been uh, revealed of the American satellites which were looking down on the scene? And the key point, Steve, is why did they exclude Miss Malaysia from the investigation? Mm. You can't make this up, or rather you can make this one up. They exclude the one country whose plane it was that lost all the passengers, and the one country which has got more reason than anybody else, they excluded it. Malaysia complained and eventually has got itself in on the investigation, but you know what's going to happen now. The final report will be delayed, and then finally they'll say, oh, we couldn't agree, and it's inconclusive. And so they will hide forevermore the truth. It was Kiev that shot down this plane. And at the same time, I'm saying to myself, well, they may have been about thinking that maybe Putin was on the plane or something like that. But to me, it's looking once coincidence, twice is happenstance, and the third time is enemy action. And the third one, of course, is the one on December the 28th. And at least they've now found uh, the black boxes. But there was no distress signal, Steve. And if it was the weather, well... Anyway, they're going to look like they're going to have the cockpit recorders, but if they start putting out preliminary reports and humming and hawing about it, we can be suspicious that um, it isn't quite what it looks like on the surface and that Malaysia is being punished in some way, in particular for that tribunal of Bush and Bear, Blair and uh, war crimes. Oh, indeed. It's astonishing that there would be no distress signal. Absolutely astonishing. I haven't followed the most recent incident, Rodney, but I wrote several times about MH17. There's no question that the uh, that the people I call freedom fighters in East, Southeast, and Ukraine, Donbass, Donbass, uh, Lugansk, and uh, Donetsk. There's no question that they had nothing to do with it. There's no question that Russia had nothing to do with it. All all the fingers point to the Kiev government. There was one or two Kiev uh, warplanes trailing this, this commercial aircraft, and they either shot it down with cannon fire or by firing a missile, and they downed the, the flight. And it's interesting that after all the headlines for so many days and weeks, the story disappeared from the news, Rodney, because I guess they couldn't pin, pin the tail on the donkey they wanted to, so they just forgot the whole story. So maybe we won't hear very much about MH7. But there's no question that Kiev is the guilty party, and they murdered nearly 300 people to make a point, and they blew it because they certainly didn't achieve their objective. Um, I can't claim to be expert, but very quickly on your remark about a missile or cannon fire, Steve, they've got the cockpit, and the first report actually says that there are a number of fast-moving projectiles, and they were all coming from the front of the plane. Now, I'm not aware that any missile does it. The missile actually homes in on the plane. Um, and uh, it, it looks like, and the book looks like cannon, cannon fire fired slightly below, from below the level of the plane, and possibly it looks like into two sides of the thing. It looks like cannon fire. Um, but uh, as for being a missile, 
I don't think any missile explodes in front of the plane, does it? Flak does, but you no way this was could be flak involved. I mean that's an explosive shell, but this is a massive amount, numerous uh, round hold projectiles, um, about forty or fifty of them, something like that, all coming from the front of the plane or slightly from the front, rather than than the engines. Could, I, to me, it looks like cannon fire. Could this be okay, indicated in one of the black boxes, Rodney? But the cover-up is not letting this information come out. Oh, I mean, this is, we've got Prime Minister Yasiny, who knows all about history and that Russia invaded Ukraine. When you start telling a lie, you've got everyone behind you, and you've got the Western media. You can carry on with this lie, and it, it, it's gone right out of the news. This one, anyway. Steve must move on. Um, the USA is opposing the Palestine effort to join the International Criminal Court. Yeah. And I do. Why is anybody going to upbraid the USA government and say, excuse me, but why are you objecting to people uh, who committed war crimes being tried? Well, the USA itself, of course, uh, is not a member of the court. And um, the Zionists, um, they, uh, they don't want to be up. Uh, before the court, because you see, um, they will be done for what they did in Gaza uh, l- last June, July, uh, which was a, a brazen series of war atrocities, including the attacking on, on schools and United Nations buildings and all the, all the rest of it. But isn't it astonishing that the USA should actually stand up and have the, the, the brazen, <laughs> I don't know, brazen cheat to say that this isn't constructive and um, it will hold up the process of reconciliation between Palestine and Israel. I mean, you can't make this up. Uh, Steve, the world is moving now against Israel, which is why I think that they were behind this business in France. Um, They're desperately trying to uh, bolster up their position, but the sanctions are coming, uh, the rejections are coming, Uh, even France which is a model of viciousness, hypocrisy, you name it. Even the French Parliament, I believe, the Parliament has indicated that Palestine should be recognized. The UK has recognized it. And certainly the European Parliament has recognized it. So all the cards are building. They're going on the table now. And um, Netanyahu is getting pretty desperate, though he looked very, very smart, didn't he? And delighted as he waved to the crowds uh, when they were, went in, in support of the people who were killed. Um, but re- what really matters, Rodney, is that Israel's occupation ends and Palestine finally has the sovereignty that it deserves. Uh, the idea that, that you can go to the Security Council or go to the ICC and get justice, to me, is a bunch of nonsense because it, there is no possibility of getting justice there. The ICC is a Western tool. Uh, America controls the Security Council. I said Washington vetoed the resolution. Technically, it was not a 
vetoed, but Washington bullied other countries to vote no, so Palestine wouldn't get the nine votes it needed, and then America became one of the nine votes. To me, that's a de facto veto, even though technically it isn't. And and, and, and Abbas, the so-called president of Palestine, an illegitimate one, because number one, Israel rigged his election. Number two, his term expired in January 2009, the same time that Obama took office, and this guy has done nothing to go after statehood. He's done nothing to prosecute Israel for its crimes. He supported Israel's cast-led war in December 2008, January 2009. He said nothing or practically nothing about the last summer's war, uh, Operation Protective Edge, until very late in the game. So he was weak-kneed. He didn't do what he was supposed to do. He didn't give a damn about 1.8 million Gazans who were being brutalized, slow-motion genocide, large parts of Gaza turned to rubble, did absolutely nothing, still functions as Israel's enforcer. All of these horrors still going on, and he doesn't need the Security Council. The Security Council has no say over who, be- who becomes a U.N. member. If you become a U.N. member, you would, be, you, you would just about a de facto become a state, a sovereign state. The, the General Assembly alone has the power to do it, and there's a 1950 law that only needs to be invoked. The unity, I forget the exact name, unity something or other, but any state, of Palestine, any state that's not a UN member can invoke this law, and if two-thirds of the world's nations support Palestine's initiative for statehood, then Palestine automatically becomes a state. The occupation should end. I don't know that it would, but it should. And America and its Security Council veto means nothing. But Abbas has never taken this route, which to me says he doesn't want statehood because he has never seriously gone after it. And if he goes to the ICC, he'll accomplish nothing. Yeah, well, uh, and they also say, I believe they say that... um with Abbas, what it's really about is he likes well-tailored suits. And that this money comes from Israel, and basically he's comfortable and he goes around playing games. But there seems to be no will to actually fight the cause. When he has fought the cause and gone forward, it's only because the pressure behind him is such uh, that he'd get assassinated if he didn't actually do that. Um, but Abbas seems to me a most peculiar uh, person who I think at the bottom line is probably betraying the Palestinian cause because um, uh, he's been um, involved in negotiations and with the bottom line all the time, the result of this process is that that Israel is able to do more settlements and to solidify and strengthen its position. Oh, absolutely right. He absolutely has betrayed uh, people going going back at least to Oslo, probably to Madrid shortly before Oslo. Yes. But the late Edward Said was absolutely enraged about about Oslo. He he called it what it, what it, what, it, what it is a Palestinian Versailles, an unconditional surrender to uh, to Israel. And Abbas was one of the people involved in putting together the agreement. Did abs- did absolutely nothing for the Palestinians and gave Israel everything and wanted. And if that's not betrayal, I don't know what is. Plus the subsequent agreements that happened in the wake of Oslo, Oslo uh, 2, uh, 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 
Oh, several others. Uh, there were various agreements. Uh, the only one that the Arafat turned down one in 2000, and he got himself killed by Israel as a result of it. But 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 it was another unconditional surrender demand, and and he turned it down, fearing that maybe uh, Israel might go after him. But if he accepted the agreement, maybe the Palestinians would kill him. He turned it down. Uh, this was a camp. This was another Camp David. There was a Taba agreement. Uh, there was an Oslo two, maybe an Oslo three. All kinds of different agreements. And uh, and you had the various uh, peace talks that went on, always dead on arrival, the greatest hoax in modern times. And this stuff goes on over and over again. And the idea that you can sit down and negotiate with Israel about anything is is absolutely false because you cannot, and you can, cannot get any agreement to benefit the Palestinian people. And, 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 and it isn't rocket science to figure this out, but the leadership coming out of the Palestinian Authority, which is an Israeli creation, Abbas and Israel really anointed president and the Palestinians literally screwed. No rights at all. Nothing in prospect that, that shows they have a chance for liberation. Yes, well, um, there, are, there are two issues which are leading us into great trouble. One is the failure to solve um, the, the rights of Palestine. And the other one, Steve, which I think lies right behind uh, so much of the um, ISIS, etc., is, is partly, of course, the West has been exploiting uh, Islam since uh, 2000, shall we say, since 1915, um, uh, and then the settlements um, like the Treaty of Lausanne and the Sykes-Picot agreements. But the other thing which I would like to discuss at some time in the future is the failure of Islam itself to find something uh, unique, distinctive upon which it stands on its own two feet and can challenge the West in a reasonable way. Um, and when you put those two forces together, you then get, uh, a f and then with the backing and the money of Saudi Arabia, uh, you put it, you've got trouble, trouble, trouble. If it isn't Israel and Palestine, it's ISIS. And the, the West has only got domination to propose to the, to, to the Arab street or the Islamic street. And the Islamic countries themselves are all ruled. With one exception, uh, on Wednesday night, I was at a, a talk on, not I gave it, somebody gave it, a very good talk on Tunisia. And there is some hope in Tunisia that something may come. But the trouble is, there is no modern Islamic solution that they actually have. And they only, they actually, thinking at the moment, they're saying, oh, we're doing okay, we are obeying the rules of the IMF, uh, the World Bank, and we are allowing and welcoming inward investment. Steve, I think that, you know, I said to the speaker afterwards, I said, what a wonderfully comprehensive talk. But I don't think there's much hope for Tunisia. It's going down the path recommended for it uh, by the EU and the West, and that will produce with them not what they want, which is independence and a bit of fairness and uh, uh, a modern economy. It, they like market economies, but one which works for everybody. I said, you are bringing into your country that which is failing at this very moment. So there you are. I think... There's a bit of a tragedy there that Tunisia, where the hopes were high, I don't think it knows the new way forward. And that's going to be part of the continuing tragedy of Islam and the Middle East, combined, of course, with the ongoing sore, uh, which is the Israeli-Palestine conflict.
Oh, absolutely. Anybody who gets in bed with the IMF is basically selling out the entire population, except the privileged class, to pay off the bankers, to sell off the crown jewels of the country, the state enterprises, other things, maybe in Greece they'll get down to, the, to selling off the Parthenon, who knows. But basically, this is the dirty game. Western predators come in and just steal the stuff, steal the resources of the country and, and its enterprises and everything else, and the people end up being exploited is nothing more than serfs, and uh, this is the path Ukraine is following. Apparently, Tunisia will go the same way, and the only way a country can stay free is, is to stay away from the EU, stay away from the IMF, assert your sovereignty, and go after pol and institute policies that will benefit the country. Otherwise, it'll end up a zombie country like Greece, and too many of them end up exactly that way. Yes, indeed. Uh, there is some hope that um some countries now are starting to set up a, that, that optic fiber cable for the BRIC countries, which will enable them to get away from the pressures and the sanctions which come from allowing the, uh, the West to control all your transactions just through the ownership of the mechanical system for, for uh, tr transporting um, financial transactions. Um, so there's some hope now uh, the West is beginning, the other countries begin to understand that the West cannot really be trusted. They're out to dominate, to exploit, and they no longer have anything which serves the mass of the people. Let us hope that Greece somewhere, somehow, Iceland seems to, I'm not quite sure what's happening in Iceland, Steve, but one hopes that they were setting an example uh, when they took on the bankers before. And I think Greece is going to have no choice but to take on the bankers, because if it doesn't, it's going to be even worse off than what it was before. So maybe um, uh, Kevin Barrett said something to me the other night. He said um, he thought that a mixture of Islam and some of the elements in the right-wing anti-Islam movements in Europe might yet turn up something. And I know what he means, that there are people saying there has to be a, a, a use, different use of the money supply, which is interest-free for the, for the productive capacity. And there are some elements of that in some of these extreme anti-Islamic movements in Europe. And Kevin was basically saying the situation is so bad now that something has to come out of it, and it may come from the most surprising uh, quarters. Let us hope, Steve that something like that may happen because it looks to me like it's a bad year, that they've got no solutions except taking us to war. That seems to be the one, one way or the other. And it may only be an internal war in which one lot uh, start hounding uh, another lot, uh, finding out scapegoats. Look at the way anti-Zionism on the one hand and anti-Muslimism uh, on the other is increasing in Europe. And that's all happening, of course, because I think they're doing this because as they try to blame somebody for what is the failure of their own economic and political uh, policies. So there you are. It looks to me like pretty bad news for this year, Steve. I'm, you know, I'm not really looking forward to it at all. Oh, well, 
I, I, I don't know whether it's this year, Rodney, or sometime after this year, but I think there's no question. Uh, a guest that I valued very much until he passed away a couple of years ago, Bob Chapman, a former Wall Street insider, who really had great insight and maintained important contacts, and he put out a, uh, a, uh, a, a twice-weekly newsletter called The International Forecaster, and he said the chickens are coming home to roost, and the whole thing is going to come crumbling down. He couldn't predict when. If I remember, he said he said it would happen sometime between 2012 and 2017, and he said the longer this stuff goes on, the worse the crash will be when the day of reckoning finally comes. And I wish Bob were around today, Rodney, to comment on what's happening. I'm sure he would say maybe 2015 is the year, but we will watch it, Rodney, and we certainly will comment on it, and I look forward to getting you back on this program so we can watch events as they unfold, and I can only hope that maybe all the horrors America and other NATO countries have inflicted on others will come back and bite these countries in the butt and make them feel more pain than what they inflicted on others. Let's just hope it's something like that in peace, not at war. Yes, indeed, Steve. And that's a nice note to, to end on. It's rather more positive than what my frame of mind was. That's the way. We must, at the end of the day, we must go positive. Rodney, okay, I look Steve. forward to getting you back next yeah. month. The music means I have to sign off. Again, yep. my great thanks. We'll talk more next month. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you, Rodney.